You're listening to Modern Marketing, a podcast brought to you by Influicity. At Influicity, we build brand communities that drive revenue. Learn more at Influicity.com. On today's episode, John Davids and Akriti Girwali host our community event where they will discuss and answer questions about how you can look to build your brand. Today, we're going to be talking about building your brand in 2023. We'll be getting into different platforms that we're using, different marketing vehicles, strategies, tactics that our clients are using, both in B2B and B2C. And I thought we'd start off... I'll hand it over to Akriti in just a second. But I thought we'd start off with big picture. What are we seeing and what are we telling clients as we move into sort of a a bit of a rougher economic climate? A lot of marketing tools and tactics are changing. So Akriti, I'll hand it over to you. Why don't you give us your kind of two or three minute state of the union in terms of what you're seeing and what you're telling clients these days? Yeah. So hi, everyone. Welcome. I just want to start off saying that I think right now it's very important for brands to think in terms of building a demand generation machine moving into 2023. I see demand generation is the process that's going to help marketing people achieve their goals in 2023. So every brand needs to address their buyer's behavior. That is one thing that I have been telling my clients. And I think most of us know here, or like it's good to know that it's not possible to move your buyer in the market and they will only buy when they are ready. And most important is buyer's journey is not linear. So This is why a demand generation machine is important and how we build that machine. So there's four points that I really want to focus here. It is one is creating demand, one is content distribution, one is capturing demand, and one is building the bottom of funnel content, which includes product marketing, messaging, and positioning. But today, I think we'll be focusing more on creating demand and content distribution. So I just want to describe a little bit about what we do or what I tell my audience when it comes to creating demand. So I think every brand should focus on educating and enabling their audience. And that can be only done by delivering value consistently. Value is very important for your audience. And it has to be friction-free. That is my number two very important point that I really want to present here. And in this step, We need to focus on consumption over conversion because we are creating demand. This is not where you're going to convert your audience. So consumption is very important. And we can achieve this through podcasts, webinars, live events. These are three mechanics which you can really use to create demand. And then once you create the demand, I've seen like most of my clients not using the content to distribute it across all platforms. So, you know, we need to understand here that content in all its formats and not just in terms of blog and SEOs, because when we talk about content, I generally see my clients talking about, oh, we have blogs, we have SEOs. So I have noticed that also with many brands who do podcasts, they are not repurposing their podcast content in their other marketing channels. It remains one of the most underused tactics right now, like not repurposing any of their content in their other marketing channels. Like if you're doing podcasts, if you're doing webinars, if you're doing live events, you should see this also as your other tool in your marketing toolbox, but also as a content marketing strategies. Because you have video clips, you know, you can take the snippets, put it into LinkedIn, put it into TikTok, YouTube shorts. So you can see like how much these help you to naturally supplement and engage your audience. So these are what I'm really talking to most of my clients and I think is very important here. So John, if you want to add something else here, that would be... Yeah, that's really good. So let's just go back a couple steps. Can you list out... I was writing as fast as I could. Can you list out the four those four steps that you mentioned at the beginning? Yeah. So creating demand is one. Content distribution is number two. Number three is capturing demand. And number four is building bottom of funnel content, which includes product marketing or messaging and positioning of your brand. Interesting. So creating, distributing, capturing, and then bottom of funnel content. And the other thing you said that caught my attention was consumption, not conversion. Can you just um, unpack that a little more? What do you mean when you say consumption, not conversion? 
because I think we all are right now just focusing how to convert the client. And like first, we need to understand that we need to educate our clients. They need to be that demand. So, you know, you need to, how are you going to create that demand is only through educating your audiences. So we need to first focus more on consumption. Then once they consume your brand messaging, once they learn your product, then we move into conversion. So that's why my main focus is please focus on consumption over conversion. That should be your first step in marketing. Interesting. So can you give me an example then when you're talking to a client Acredi, give me a, a tangible example of a piece of content that would be consumption focused versus a piece of content or a call to action that would be conversion focused. Are you talking about specifically the call to action or is it really the entire piece of content that serves one or the other? Like for example, if you're reaching out to somebody for the first time, you cannot say like, can we set up a meeting? Like even in an email, like, you know, if it's just an email messaging that you're sending, First email, you cannot expect the client to book a meeting with you. Like you cannot have a call to action. I think it personally drives your audience away. If in the first email you have a statement saying, can we book a 30 minute call? What is there to book a call yet? It's just the first meeting. Like you're just sending a first email. Where is the education piece? How do you know that buyer is ready to buy your product or you're fit in that market? You don't know anything such as that. So that's what I mean by consumption over conversion. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And I'll talk for a second about that. So in what you're describing there is is in the B2B context. You have, yeah. let's say, you know, you're selling whatever it is, you're selling consumer software or fintech or or what have you. And you reach out to someone and you say, hey, can we have a meeting? And if you are a marketing or a, or a demand gen person in that context, you might think, I'm not asking for anything. I'm just asking for a meeting. I'm not trying to get you to buy anything. We have to remember is that that prospective client's time is actually a cost. That's okay. there's value there. I don't want to give away five or ten or twelve or fifteen minutes of my time without some guarantee of, of value in return. So it's not even that you're asking me for a dollar amount. You're asking me for time, which has a dollar amount to me. It's beyond a dollar amount. It's my time and attention. So I like that. And then the other thing you were saying that was interesting was really your focus. And of course, we talk about this all the time is on demand creation versus demand capture. Are there instances, because this is where I get a lot of pushback when I put out content on LinkedIn that says the exact same thing. People will say, well, it depends where you are and what you're selling. And there's a lot of other factors that go into it. So in some cases, you should only be trying to capture demand. And in some cases, you actually should be trying to create demand. Do you buy that? I mean, do you think there are scenarios where you should really just be focusing on demand capture? As for me, I think uh, the big win, if you want to win big, you have to create demand without creating demand. I don't think so. You can just capture demand unless your prospect has like, you know, shown like multiple signs, like they have come to you. They are in like bottom of the funnel already. If they have already been pushed there, then yes. But if they haven't reached till the bottom of the funnel, I don't think so. Just with the first touch that you can convert a client. Yeah. The example I gave in that exact when when somebody posed that question to me, I said, if you are selling big cold bottles of water at the top of a hiking trail in the middle of August, then yes, hikers walk yeah. by, just capture that demand, sell them the bottle. You don't need to convince them that they're dying of thirst right now, right? Or you're trying to sell Christmas trees today, December 15th. You want to sell Christmas trees? Just put them out. <laughs> the demand's already there. Those instances, of course, it makes sense to capture. But in 95% of the other times, it makes sense to just spend your time creating that demand. I'll give you another example. I love using examples from physical retail because I feel like physical retail, A, we all know it. We grew up with it. And it's been around for over 100 years, a lot more than that. So in physical retail, if you're walking down the street, and let's just say you're not even hungry, you're not thirsty, you're feeling fine. You walk down the street and you see a sign for a bakery. And it's big, bright, pink, orange sign. And you look in the window and they have beautiful pastries on display, cakes and cookies and donuts. And you think, okay, you walk into the store and you get a whiff of that wonderful fresh baked cookie smell. And then you walk around and you see the displays on the walls and behind the glass case. Before you know it, you're walking up to the counter and you're saying, can I place an order, please? Right. And so 
every single thing I just described was demand creation, right? Every move that that bakery made from the sign to the colors, to the window displays, to the in-store, to the fragrances, they were just creating demand. None of that was about capturing until the very last moment where you said, I want to place an order, right? So those kinds of examples, I think, resonate because people understand, oh, yeah, that's all demand creation. Is that that's anything you want to add to that? Yeah, no, that's a great example that you just gave. Exactly. It's like you are only going to capture towards the end, like, you know, capturing demand at the first step is not going to happen. And you just give such a good example, like completely makes sense. <laughs> great. Yeah. You, you can use it, please. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to get to Q&A in just a second here. A bunch of you wrote in questions ahead of time. We will get to all of them throughout this community event. If you have questions as we're going through, please drop them into the Q&A area or the chat area. We will get to them as we go along. One thing I wanted to touch on, we're going to get to the questions in a second here. But one thing I wanted to talk about, actually, you and I were just chatting about this this morning, Akriti, which is email. So mm -hmm. I think I want to just spend a minute here talking about email because I think it is such an underutilized vehicle for brands. It's used by media companies all the time. I can name a bunch of media companies that have been built purely on email. Think mm -hmm. Axios, Politico, Morning Brew. There are so many. The Skim, there are too many to name that have been built on email. But I think brands have been going about it the wrong way. Some, In some cases, not going about email at all. And in some cases, doing it the wrong way. So I want to spend a minute here just giving you some insight on what, on what we're seeing in email and what our clients are doing. So the idea behind email, what we're talking about here is a newsletter approach that is a branded email. So we're not talking about just blasting out emails to your mailing list. But think about a a branded newsletter, give it a name that is different and unique from your company, have it go out at the same time, at the same time of day and day of the week, every single week, and make it editorial that is interesting and not sponsorship or call to action focused, just interesting. So if you're selling oil and, and fuel products, you'll have it be what your buyers are interested in. If you're selling finance, technology, banking services, whatever that might look like, it's interesting content that would be the same quality as what you would get in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Morning Brew, what what have you. And making it interesting and making it a brand unto itself, that is something... That's a play that I think is so under-leveraged right now. I'm seeing tons of media companies do it. We're just starting to talk to our clients about it. And I think ultimately, it drives towards building community, which is what we talk about all the time. So as we're talking through TikTok and Instagram and, and podcasts and all this kind of stuff, I think email newsletter is something that brands should be picking up. I think a few of our clients will be trying that in the next year uh, with our help. But that's something that, that I wanted to throw out there. I know you had something to say about this too, Akriti. Yeah, I think email marketing people uh, nowadays, they push back a little is because just the way, you know, how the inboxes get full with random emails from so many places and you don't know whether they'll get that opens or not. So that's why I think that's one of the reasons why clients don't want to use email marketing. But yeah, like the instance, like the example just you gave, like for newsletter, I think it would be a very great idea to do that and to see it. Like you talked about building a community. So, you know, here's this, this is nothing to do with email marketing, but building a community, I really want to focus here one point that building a community around your brand is one of the best way to encourage loyalty. That's what I think, because, you know, just having customer is not enough. You want to retain it next year. You want them to come back to you, right? So that loyalty is very important. So you have to build a community around your brand. And I also read a data, I saw a data somewhere that 80% of consumers are more likely to purchase from a personalized experience. So maybe those newsletter that you send it in the email, which does not have any call to action, it's like just talking about the product. I think that would like really help a lot yeah. of consumers I, build that. To your point a minute ago, you know, people are worried that we're just going to go to spam. People's inboxes are full. The way I think about it is, think about where you spend most of your time online. So you have your phone in your hand. And where are you going to most of the time? Well, you're going to either your texts or you're going to your email. Of course, social media, we all know that. But in terms of communication, it's you know iMessage, WhatsApp, text messages, and email. I do think there's a huge opportunity on SMS. So I'm not going to talk about that right now. But I think email, if done right, if done respectfully, tastefully... And the other thing about email is you don't need a huge, huge audience. You just need your target 
prospective customer. So I had one client the other day say, well, you know, how many people are really going to be reading my email? And I said, how many customers do you need to have this year to have a successful year? 20, 30? Think about it. If you're selling products that cost tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you could move a hundred extra units via an email newsletter, you need maybe two or three thousand subscribers to that newsletter. And if just a few percentage points of them make a purchase, that's a massive channel. In e-commerce, here's the other thing. I don't know if we have any e-commerce folks tuning in right now. But in e-commerce, 50% of all e-commerce sales happen in newsletter. That's why you see companies like Klaviyo, which is, I think, the number one e-commerce email platform is Klaviyo. I talk to e-commerce folks all the time. When they drop a newsletter, they know it's driving 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 in revenue. Every single day, it comes free email. So I think B2B and high-ticket B2C has a huge opportunity here. Yeah, that's great. That's a very good point. Yeah. Okay, let's get into one of these questions that came in. So we'll start with a with a kind of an, an interesting one. How can you create demand with a product that has never existed before? So let's take this in two pieces. The idea of creating demand for a new product is one piece, but then there's actually category demand. So we're talking about something that's never existed before. Let's just make the assumption. I'm not sure what this person meant exactly, but let's make the assumption that we're talking about a product category that is not well-defined, that people don't even realize they have that need. Do you want to take a stab at this first, Akriti? Yeah, sure. I think here, again, I have to come back to the same point about demand creation versus capture. You have to focus on demand creation first because you need to educate your clients. So you will not be able to capture a demand until you double down on in-feed consumption. You have to focus on in-feed consumption at first. Then, Then you need to focus on educating about your product and services to your audience and what sets your brand apart from others. And then if you have a podcast, please repurpose its content, have a regular conversation with subject matter expert. I think that would help help you create that demand, like reach out to uh, bigger audiences and then putting out quality content, which has to be original, which has to contain actionable takeaways. And most importantly, it has to be engaging. I think that's what comes to my mind right now with this new category demand. But John, if you have anything else to add here. Yeah, I'm going to jump to my infomercial example, which I've I've given a few times. You're nodding because I think it I think it fits here very well. So yeah. I've told the story before, and if you haven't heard it, so I like to use the 1990s infomercial as a great analogy for marketing today. So hear me out here. If you guys know the Abflex, the Slap Chop, the Vegematic, the Thighmaster, you guys know these infomercials I'm talking about. I'm sure you've seen them. And if you haven't, then jump onto YouTube and check them out. The 90s infomercial did what I call the marketing trifecta. So they did product demos, use cases, and testimonials. That's really all that happens through a 30-minute infomercial. They do a product demo. They give you all the different use cases. Why do you want this food dehydrator? Because you could get banana chips, and you could have turkey jerky, and you could make potpourri on your own. They give you all these use cases that you didn't even know you were cared about. I didn't know I cared about making homemade potpourri until I saw this food dehydrator. And then it gives you lots of demos. And usually the demos are really interesting and exciting. And then it gives you tons and tons of testimonials. Infomercials will run these testimonial marathons where they have 3-4 minutes of people just telling you in their own words why they love the product so much. And then they tell you how to buy it. That's the other interesting piece. Usually, the first 12 to 15 minutes of an infomercial, they don't even give you a phone number. They don't give you a website these days. And they don't tell you how you can buy it until they've generated sufficient demand. They make you kind of wait for it. There, there's, a, there's a certain tease that happens. So the reason I like to use that infomercial example is because when we're talking about a new category, oftentimes, infomercials have products that require a lot of demonstration, a lot of explanation. And they are new in category or new in use case. So I'll go back to the example of a food dehydrator. If you walked through a store and just saw on a shelf a food dehydrator, you could never think, A, what even is that? Why would I want to dehydrate food? And then if I wanted, what would I dehydrate? How would I dehydrate it? How long would this take? There are so many questions you would have 
And that's why an infomercial is the perfect vehicle to demonstrate all those things. And then if you don't believe it, you have that cosign. You have all these other people that are saying, yep, yep, I did it. I did it. I did it. Worked for me. All that, all that cosign, all that halo effect that allows you to say, okay, well, that woman sort of looks like me. That guy kind of looks like me. I'm sure I could get benefit from it too. So that's how I would approach doing demand creation for a brand new category or brand new product. And what does that look like today? Well, it's TikTok. It's a hell of a lot of TikTok. It's Instagram Reels. It's LinkedIn. If it's a B2B thing, it's LinkedIn for sure or Twitter. You would get one level lower than that through items like podcasts and case studies. So a podcast is great as a second layer. We always say podcast is not about awareness. Podcast is everything else, intent, desire, and action. If you think about awareness, intent, desire, action. Although you could use the podcast content in bits and pieces, chop it up to create awareness. But the podcast would be the second layer. The third layer would be things like case studies and you know different use cases and whatnot. And then as Akriti said, in the bottom of funnel, you would do things like product use cases or, or getting into more deep. If you're talking about a technical product, maybe it's white papers. When you get people to the bottom of the funnel, they are really, really interested. So you can spend more time with them and you can do a little more. Let me mention one thing and then I'll, I'll let you take it, Akriti. When we're running our own ad campaigns, so at Influicity, a sequence that we use is the very, very first thing we do if we're running ads on LinkedIn, let's say, is we'll give you a really quick piece of information, an infographic, a case study that you can see you know, in 20 words or less. That's kind of the first piece. Then the second piece, if you've shown interest in that, will be a 10-minute webinar, a 10-minute piece of information. Now, we would never reverse the order of that. Very simple reason. I would never ask for 10 minutes of your time before you gave me any indication of attention, right? Before you care at all, I'm never going to say, hey, can I have 10 minutes of your time to tell you something? If you ask me for that, I'd say, hell no, I'm not giving you 10 minutes. I'll give you, I'll give you 10 seconds maybe. And so you've got to think about the sequence of being able to communicate information in a very quick manner. And then as people progress down, they will give you more and more of their time and attention. So it's not just what you're telling them, but it's how you're telling it to them. Anything you want to throw in there, Akriti? I know I just said a lot. No, I think you just explained it so well. It was bang on. It's how you tell them. That's the most important takeaway here. I completely agree with that. Yeah, the how you tell them is... I'll just expand on that a little bit. The how you tell them is something I focus a lot on because I think when you are in the position of being a marketing manager or managing a PL, it's very interesting to you, right? It's like, it's so interesting. Every product feature, every benefit you get out of it, people are really interested in what they're doing. And you start to forget, well, yeah, but to somebody else who has never been exposed to this, not only do they not know, do they not care, but they're not going to put the time into knowing or caring until you give them a reason to. It's the same reason why, you know, what works on social media, well, if you catch their attention in the first five seconds, they'll let you have the next. 50 seconds or, or five minutes. And so you've got to think about how you're getting the message across as much as what that message is. Okay, another question here. What do you think will be the next great marketing innovation or strategy in the next 12 months? Kind of a, a big question there. You want to take a stab at that? Yeah, this is a great question. Like, uh, There's so much to talk about here. But I think because marketing is changing. The sales process is changing. So I, right now, when I talk to my clients, what I tell them is you need to experiment to see what your buyers are looking for and what resonates the buyer. You can think what worked 10 years back will work today. So I think every marketing people should have a process for marketing. And then you need to experiment to see what resonates with your buyer. And second is you need to provide value over everything else and diversify your content. You have to diversify your content. You have to strengthen your online presence as it's about delivering value to your buyers. And you have to understand one thing that your buyers are going to be in different places. So you can't just put content in one place or just put it in your website and think it's going to magically work. It is not going to work. So you have to be in places where your buyers want to consume that content. 
And lastly, but not the least, I think this is a very old tactic, which we don't use it much right now. I think we should focus on customer insight. I think that's very important. Understanding the interpretation of your data, customer data, their behavior, what kind of feedback you're getting. I think this will also help you strengthen your product and make you a better marketer. That's what I think. Any examples, whether our clients or others are using customer insights? Anything you can think of there? I think we are doing some surveys for one of our clients in the podcast. Like, you know, we are running a survey to see like how they are finding that podcast, you know, and getting the feedback from them. And I think we need that. They need to understand what they liked about the podcast, how many people were driven to the pipeline from the podcast. So like, I think that's something very necessary thing that most brands should be adapting. Yeah, that's a great point. I'll I'll tell you a a funny little anecdote. So we do a lot of podcasts for a lot of brands. We create podcasts from scratch and they they do very well. And sometimes we have clients or prospective clients that will say to us, well, podcasts worry us because it's a black box. There's not enough data. We don't know who's listening, what they're listening to, if it's the right person. And so we say, oh no, we, we, we can do that. And they say, how? And I say, well, we just ask them. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity. Since 2015, we've been building brand communities that drive revenue. First, we did it through influencers. Then we added podcasts. Today, we work with world-class brands to build, optimize, and run breakthrough programs that create and capture demand. It's time to stop renting your influence and start owning it. Learn more at Influicity.com. Once we run a few episodes of a podcast, we'll start the next episode by saying, Hey, if you're enjoying this, take 30 seconds, go here on your phone, tell us, answer these five questions, and you know maybe you can win an Amazon gift card or throw some incentive in for them to do it. You'd be amazed how many people... We just did this to, with one of our podcasts. We do a big podcast in the food space. And we did it and we got 14 responses. And the kind of insights we gained out of those 14 responses, we figured out the occupations general occupation category of the listener, which is very important to this particular client. We understood whether or not they are using this client's product. And if they are, were they using it before they heard the podcast? So did the podcast help drive purchase? And we asked a few other things. I think there were three or four questions. But those first two alone were exceptionally valuable. And it's all self-reported. We just asked them to tell us. And it's not that complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So let me throw something in here. So in terms of of where I see or the innovation that I see over the next 12 months and where we see marketing going, I come back at a high level to this concept of demand creation, which is really you know all we talk about. At Influicity, we talk about demand creation. We talk about the power of building your community. And the reason we do that is because it drives down customer acquisition costs. It drives up customer lifetime value. It does all these good things. Let me give you an example though. This just uh, Just last week, I was talking to my wife about this. I feel like everybody I know has a Shopify store. Everybody, you know, all the parents at my kids' school, my neighbors, my, my cousins, everyone's throwing up a Shopify store and they're selling snowsuits and they're selling candles and they're selling their own brand of jewelry. And 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 good for them. I, you know, I love the entrepreneurial spirit. But what this means is that there's a lot of noise in the market. There's more businesses around today than ever. And by the way, half the Shopify stores you see are just drop shipping where they're getting products from the same factory in China and they're bringing them over. And, and so you have these, uh, these brands that are being created that don't even make the product. And it's even easier for people to do that. And that's just giving, I'm giving you one example, but you know, online businesses, offline businesses, B2B, B2C, I feel like there's more today than there certainly was 10 or 15 years ago in terms of the noise you need to compete with. And that's why we talk about demand creation so much. Demand creation for you as an industry expert or as a thought leader, for your product as the solution to a specific problem. And then finally, at the bottom, I'm, I'm going down the funnel here. And then at the bottom, the use cases that you can solve. So at a high level, if we say, hey, if you have this problem, I'm someone that you should be talking to or thinking about. And then the next level down, hey, here's why. And again, I can maybe take a little longer to explain the why in that case. And then as you get down further, and we see this in our business, is that once they trust you and they like you and they think that you are a good provider, they don't necessarily have a reason to choose you. right? Because it's like, okay, well, you sell something, that's cool. But What's that going to do for me? And that's where you might have to take five, six, seven, eight at bats 
to actually convince them of a use case, right? So it's like, it's like, um, you know, I'm selling, I'll make this up. I'm selling a fintech product. Okay, cool. And I'm really good at fintech. Okay, great. I believe you. Great. Check, check. So you already got two checks here. All right. You should use my fintech product because you can buy stocks. Well, I don't want to buy stocks. Okay. You can buy bonds. Well, I'm not really a bond guy. Okay. You can invest in crypto. I don't do crypto. Okay. Well, you can save for your retirement. Oh, well, now you have my attention, right? It took four tries, but now you have my attention. And so think about that cycle and, and what you had to go through there. And you can be more intentional about each of those points. And then as you get to the bottom of that funnel, don't worry if the first try doesn't work. It might take 10, 15, 20 tries, right? We have clients, a lot of our clients have known about us for 14 months, 18 months, right? Two years. And then it's like, oh, we finally found a use case for you. And those are some of our best clients. So I feel like that's something that gets missed. And people think that it's like a straight line. This goes back to what you were saying, Akriti, that you know, marketing is nonlinear. It can, yeah. it can go in zigs and zags. Can you uh, repeat that point you were making? Yeah, because like, you know, most of the client, when I meet them for the first time, they think buyer journey is linear. Like I want to convert. Okay. So my first episode of podcast is going to come out next month. How many leads am I going to get? How right. do I convert? <laughs> okay. Calm down. It's just the first episode. You're just educating. So I generally tell them buyer's journey is not linear. You need to understand this. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's so true. That, that question of podcast, I did a post on LinkedIn. If you guys aren't following me on LinkedIn, make sure to Check out John David's on LinkedIn. I did a post a couple of weeks, or I think it was last week, about how we have one podcast that generated $3.7 million in revenue for our client. And then I say on the next line, that took a year to get to. So for the first six months, we had positive signals, but zero actual sales being made. In the next six months, we got a, you know more, more pipeline contribution. Still no sales, but at least we said, okay, these people are potentially qualified buyers. And then at the 12-month mark, $3.7 million in closed attributable revenue to a podcast. So the reason that's so important to understand is because $3.7 million sounds great, but the client could have killed it in the first six months. And it's because of, of, the, of the tactics and the strategies that we preach that they didn't. And now it's, you know, it's probably going to be their number one marketing channel heading into the next year, but it took a while to get there. So I totally sympathize with you. I have those same conversations. How many leads am I going to get in the first week? Yeah. Zero. <laughs> if, you, if you get one, you're super lucky. Yeah. And most companies, like, you know, they're only thinking in terms of leads, but what leads? You need to describe leads. What kind of leads? Just an email address of random person or like, like, you know, they, they get confused with that. And then even if they understand what kind of leads they're getting, I think they tend to forget like, you know, qualified leads like that will change into your customer later is consequence of something, right? It just doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of brand awareness, word of mouth, demand generation, customer advocacy, and a great product. And then when they fail to see that six important things that what brings them good leads, but they're just focusing on, okay, my first episode of podcast is out. I need 250 leads that's going to convert into customer and that's not going to happen. Yeah. Let's talk TikTok. Got a couple questions yeah. here about TikTok. Again, if you guys have questions as we're going along here, we'll go until the uh, bottom of the hour. We'll go until just about 1 o'clock Eastern. Drop them in the Q&A or the chat area and happy to get to your questions. So TikTok, how can I be using TikTok in B2B? So let's talk B2B. We'll talk B2C as well, because I know we have consumer brands on, um, on listening in as well. Let's start with B2B though. Uh, I've got some ideas, but Akriti, any ideas or anything you're seeing that you like in the B2B space on TikTok? Okay. So TikTok is something that I'm learning myself because I'm very like new to this. So I just don't want to say something like random that I don't know. I don't know, have much knowledge about, but it looks very, from what I can see until now is like, it's doing great even for B2B. And I'm trying to figure out how we can help our future clients or like my present clients right now with TikTok. But John, you have like amazing insights on TikTok. So I think you should take the lead. Sure, sure. So TikTok is an interesting platform for a few reasons. So I'm, I'm going to spitball some very, very interesting TikTok insights. So I'll go slowly and you can take notes and I'll repeat if you guys need me to. But a few things to understand about TikTok. The value of followers on TikTok is the lowest 
of any platform. So a follower on TikTok is worth less than LinkedIn, than Instagram, than Facebook, than Twitter, you know, fill in the blank. It's worth less. However, there are also more and, and faster growing followers on those platforms in many categories versus other platforms. So as Snapchat loses some traffic, as Instagram loses some traffic, it's mostly going to TikTok. I use Snapchat because if you're under the age of, I'm going to say 17, it's TikTok and Snapchat. I was having a long conversation about this with my 16-year-old cousin on the weekend. And I said, what apps do you use? And she said, I spent 4 hours today on TikTok. And I spent 1 hour today on Snapchat. And Snapchat is used mostly for DMing. It's messaging, like how you use texting. And TikTok is television. That's it. It's TikTok, it's Netflix, and there's nothing else. So the value of a follower is less, but there are more and more and more followers coming to TikTok. The other interesting thing about TikTok is that the number of followers that you have does not necessarily tell you how many views any piece of your content is going to do or how much traffic you're going to get on any piece of content. So a lot of the time on platforms, if someone has like 100,000 followers, you can pretty much estimate, oh, they're going to get whatever, 10,000 views on their video or 10,000 likes on their post or whatever that number was. Certainly back in the days when I was just starting out and it was only YouTube, YouTube was the only player in this space when Influicity began. It was like, if you had 50,000, subscribers on YouTube. I know you're going to get 7,500 views on a video. Anything more is, is good. Anything less is bad. right? So super simple. TikTok is not like that at all. You could have 25,000 followers on TikTok and every TikTok you put out is getting like 500 views. right? Or you could have 1,000 followers on TikTok and every TikTok you put out is getting 50,000 views. And so it's very hard to say that because you have a big audience, you're going to have a lot of people watching your content. And what that means is it's actually an advantage for the little guy. Don't worry if you have 500 followers on TikTok as a brand. We have brands we work with that have... I think one of the brands that we work with on TikTok is we manage quite a few TikTok accounts. This brand has about 200 followers on TikTok. It's growing, but it's not growing very fast. But their TikToks themselves, the actual posts, get thousands and thousands of views. Tons of likes, right? Thousands of views, maybe dozens of likes, and then maybe 5 to 10 comments. And the comments are on topic. Interesting, interested commenters. And so that tells you, well, you know something, even though I'm not getting tons of followers, which is a nice vanity metric, I'm getting tons of engagement. My content is showing up on the For You page, which is the page people get when they open the app. And that's actually working really well. So that's kind of an overview of TikTok. I could talk about this for the next hour, but I'll move on. How is it working for B2B? How is it working for B2C? So in B2B, what companies are doing that works is they're making really fun content that actually aligns with what their clients care about. So really fun content. I'll give you an example. There's a whole bunch of channels on TikTok that talk about Excel and spreadsheets and mathematics like STEM. One of our clients is a big, a big company in the STEM space, science, technology, engineering, math. And what they're doing is on these channels is they're doing like dances. And as they're dancing, they'll be pointing up, pointing down. And as they're pointing up and down, there's like text bubbles popping up. And it might say like, Hey, did you know on Microsoft Excel, you can put this formula in and it'll give you that? Watch this. And then like it pops up on the screen. And the whole thing is, you know, to like a Taylor Swift song and someone's dancing. And then there's just like random screenshots. And you know what? In a 19-second video, I can actually learn a lot. And you've just told me about your brand. And I've had fun the whole time. And so there's an example of something you could do that's a little more serious. We have, like I said, a STEM campaign happening now. And they're talking about like math problems and innovations and nuclear fusion and all kinds of stuff that's way above my head. And they're doing it in the form of TikToks. So it's fun. It's interesting. You don't even need to show your face on TikTok. So a lot of the stuff you can do is just could be your hands or it could be other screenshots. So that's how it's happening in B2B. It's fun. It's interesting. We're doing a lot of it. If you want to see actual examples, drop us an email, success at influicity.com. We'll send you some actual examples. Let me jump over to the B2C side. It's much more straightforward. So on the B2B side, it's everything that you see all the time on TikTok. It's, it's dancing, it's singing, it's people doing gags, jokes. What's important on TikTok is that you get people's attention in the first 3 seconds, get their attention, tell them why they should be watching you. So if you want to, you know, if you're actually talking, maybe it's 
here are three ways that you can lose weight in the next month, you know, so and then get that out in the first three seconds. And then you could go into a bit, a bit of a longer form explanation. So those are some examples. But what I would say is if we have anybody listening in that is B2B or high ticket B2C, automotive, travel, those types of things, definitely do not sleep on TikTok because every day that goes by, it's getting harder and harder to get that attention. And you need to have the attention to get more of it. So the longer you wait, the more difficult that you are making it for yourself. And in addition to that, I make the exact same argument about podcasts, by the way. TikTok and podcasts are the same in that they are extremely valuable, but they're getting harder and harder to take off with every single day. So Akriti, what I'd love for you to do, actually, there was something else you said at the beginning of the call that I thought was interesting. You talked about the four levels, creating demand, distributing, capturing, and then bottom of funnel. Can you talk a little more about bottom of funnel? What are some of the items that you would talk to a client about, including in the bottom of funnel phase? SEOs. Because people <laughs> they think just doing SEO, they can capture demand. So I think creating demand and capturing demand, once they move into the bottom of the funnel, I think that's where SEOs come into play. That's what that's according to me. That's what I think. That's what they should focus on. And in you're the talking about search engine optimization. Yes. That is towards the bottom of the funnel. So if they go into Google and if they are going to choose you as a vendor, then you need to pop up there, right? So yeah, so that comes more towards the bottom of the funnel. During creating demand has nothing to do with search engine optimization. Through search engine optimization, I don't think so. You can create demand. Interesting. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole debate now in the industry about whether it's like search versus social. And do you need to be paying as much attention to search today as you did 10 years ago? Or is it all social? Where do you come down on that? I wouldn't say this versus that. But when it comes to creating demand, you have to be on social because people just don't go to Google and look for your name because they want to know your name first thing. Having social presence is the most important thing to get in touch with your audience and to educate them. So I wouldn't say it's completely social and no SEO, but I think it just comes where you're looking for, like during creating demand, of course, social presence, content, like focusing on that. And then when those go, like, you know, once they go down the funnel, then that's when you're going to focus on your SEOs. That's what I think. Yeah. I just got a question about Twitter. I'll answer the Twitter question in just a second. Let me just get back to that point for a second, though. I totally agree with you. When it comes to social, the interesting thing is that Social has displaced search for a lot of the stuff we would have used search for 10 years ago or even 5 years ago. So if I'm looking for how to fix... Like my garage broke, the door opener wouldn't work. And so I got to get a new door opener. And I went... My first instinct was to go to YouTube and search for you know garage door opener, fix garage door, buy garage door opener, all this kind of stuff. And I went to YouTube because I just thought, I want to see somebody with that same garage door opener. And I want to see if they if they have the same problem or if their box looks the same as mine. And so I didn't search that. I went to YouTube, which of course is, is owned by Google, but it's a different mechanism. If I'm thinking about interior design, we bought a house a couple of years ago and we had a, a designer come in for paint colors and carpets and all this kind of stuff. And I went to Instagram. I never, I didn't search anything there. I went to Instagram. I also went to House. Anyone who's been to House knows how addictive that is. But, but know, that's where I. Yeah. You made such a good comment here, John. I just, I'm just thinking in terms of what I did. Like, I think 10 years back when I went to vacation, I went to TripAdvisor to read all the comments. Now, if I'm traveling somewhere and if I have to look for hotels, I'll go to TikTok and type the hotel name and just see like what pictures are there. I, yeah. So, you know, this is what like everything is changing. So the social media presence is so important. Yeah. You brought up a good point there. So there's something I talk to brands about. I say, everyone needs a binge bank. Binge yeah. bank. And what I mean by that is, don't think about every piece of content needing to work for you today. This piece of content might be working for you in two and a half years from now. And don't don't worry about it because it's not going to expire. There's no time lapse on this content. If you're talking about a hotel, for example, or you're talking about you know an airline or whatever your product is that you're selling, construction materials, real estate, you need to have content out there so that when a creedy goes to TikTok and says, <laughs> "Where should I stay when I go to the Bahamas?" There's 50 pieces of content from your company. Yeah. Makes total sense. 
The other thing is LinkedIn. So if you are in B2B, LinkedIn is so important in creating content for on your both your company page and also on the personal pages. We say that if you're on LinkedIn, company pages are great, but people in your company also need to be talking about your company because people get more attention than, than businesses on LinkedIn. If you're doing that, create lots and lots of content because then when I search LinkedIn for your brand name or for a certain category or hashtag bookkeeping software, if I'm looking for bookkeeping software for my business, then your stuff will surface. And so it's it's really, really important to think about content in terms of not just working media, but in terms of filling your binge bank. That, that's an important thing. Okay, let's answer the Twitter question. Is Twitter worthwhile for my brand in 2023? I feel like this is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> so is it worthwhile for, for your brand in 2023? So here's what I'll say about Twitter. I don't know if you have thoughts, but I'll, I'll start off on Twitter here. Twitter is really, really good and, and used in certain industries where it is used. It's used all the time. And I can tell you my friends who are on FinTwit, which is like the financial you know, people on Twitter, or StockTwit or DivTwit, they call it. These people that are obsessed with dividend stocks. Those are all in the finance category. You know, That part of Twitter or real estate Twitter or the part of Twitter that talks about social media or music, those people are not affected by any of the noise around Twitter one bit. They don't care that Elon Musk bought Twitter. They don't care about the safety and and uh, whatever they called the, the commission. They just decommissioned the committee. You know That stuff doesn't affect their daily use of Twitter. So I would say if you're making a decision whether or not to use Twitter, obviously brand safety is something you got to think about, of course. And that's you know sort of going up and down by the day right now. But in terms of is your audience on Twitter? Absolutely. If your audience was on Twitter a year ago, they're on Twitter today. They're probably more on Twitter today than they were a year ago, if I'm being honest. So in certain categories, Twitter works really, really well. It works well if there is a community that exists that talks about your product and that is interested in your product because that's where they go to get information daily. So I'll just use finance as an example because it's such a big... you know, FinTwit is like its own sort of mega community. In FinTwit, people will be tweeting every single day, like what obviously, if you're into stocks and that kind of stuff, it's like, what's trading right now? What's trending right now? Who's buying what right now? Software is really big. So, like, what trading platform are you using? Hey, this is down or I can't get this feature to work. So, people are doing things in real time on Twitter. And if you can interject yourself in that conversation, it's a really important thing to do. The other thing that Twitter is underutilized for is influencers. I can't believe we've gone 50 minutes without mentioning the word influencers. This is, yeah. a, this is what we do so, so much of. So, influencers are obviously big on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, etc. Influencers on Twitter have huge potential, but they're used differently. So they're used for real-time conversation versus you know, sort of like a trophy piece like you would do on, on YouTube. So on YouTube, the way brands do it, and we work with tons of brands on YouTube, we've been doing that for 7 years now. It's like, we're going to work with this influencer. We're going to do this piece of content. We're going to send them this product. They're going to do a video. They're going to say this in the description. And it's like a trophy. It's like, ta-da! Here's the great piece of marketing you just put out there. Maybe you can win an award for it. So that that's sort of the YouTube ethos. On Twitter, it's very, very rapid. It's like, hey, this person just asked a question about this. Let's get in with the answer. And so how you use influencers there is to start those conversations. So if you are selling, let's say, let's say you're in the um, electric vehicle market, you're selling an EV or EV accessories, you might find some EV influencers and have them start a conversation about a problem you're trying to solve, right? So let's just say, and I don't, I'm not an expert on EVs, but let's just say there's some problem around uh, energy consumption or my car battery dies before I get to my destination. Maybe you have a Twitter influencer tweet out, Hey guys, just checking out this new company. They've been sending me their products for a few weeks. I'm super interested. And I've always had this problem and they're solving it. And then you're going to get a whole bunch of people responding to that, retweeting that, liking it, and you're going to start a conversation. And now you are in that conversation. So, And the reason brands are afraid of this is because there's a lot less control, honestly. like, Yes, you're going to have a lot of people taking a dump on your product. Hey, this sucks. Or I use them. I don't like them. But you're also going to have a lot of people coming to your defense. Hey, you know, I actually had that problem, but they fixed it. Here's how they fixed it. And so you've got to be a little more comfortable with having people have a free-for-all with your product. But I got to tell you, option B is 
either they do it without you there. So they're still doing it. You're just not witnessing it. Or option B, they're not talking about you at all, which is the absolute worst thing that can happen. And so I would say Twitter, if you have a product that is adjacent to a community on Twitter, go for it. And um, just beware that you're going to get into... You might get into it with some people, but ultimately, if you can stand by your product, it's a great place to be. Anything you want to add to that, Akriti? Are you, are you someone who's ever looked at Twitter for any of your clients? Not for my clients, but I use Twitter when I do. I, I'm into intermittent fasting and stuff, so I follow a few people. It's addictive. Sometimes when you like the content, you you like, you know, two hours I can spend on Twitter and you won't know it. And then sometimes it's too much to handle that I don't want to open Twitter for months. So yeah, it is like that kind of channel, like that kind of platform, what you can take and what you cannot take. So that. yeah, absolutely. It can be it can be tiring for sure. Okay, so let's wrap up here on on sort of I'm going to say a balance of predictions, but also uh, just recommendations. So if you had to give people that are still tuned in here, a few takeaways, either from stuff you've already mentioned or maybe something new that came to mind as we were talking here. What do you want your sort of two or three takeaways to be? I said this before. I just want to summarize this at the end. I think most companies are only thinking on basis of leads and that they forget leads are consequence of brand awareness, word of mouth, demand generation, customer advocacy, and a great product. I want you guys whoever are right now here with me to remember these points. Leads just don't come. There's like a process that you have to go through. And then what kind of leads you are looking for? You need to keep that in mind. And please, if you have a podcast or if you're doing webinars or you know live events, repurpose its content in all various social media platforms so that you can reach a wider audience. I think that's the most important. These two are the most important thing that I really want to focus on. Yeah, I recorded a podcast a couple of days ago and somebody, and I'm forgetting who to attribute this to. It, it was some author, I forget, I don't know the name, but he described it as get every slice of the turkey. So you've got a big piece of turkey, every single slice needs to be used for something. Yeah, that's exactly the way to put it out there. Like, yeah, yeah. that's what yeah, everybody needs to remember. Yeah. I'll go out echoing that one point about demand creation. I mean, I feel like brands spend a lot of time thinking about demand creation versus demand capture. What's my call to action? And I actually like the way you summarized it, Akriti, which is creation, distribution, capture, and then bottom of funnel. And the bottom of funnel, as I said before, is giving multiple use cases to folks that are actually ready to buy. They just don't have a reason to buy yet. So it's like ready to buy, but need a reason to buy. That's where your bottom of funnel content comes in. And it does the work of creating the rationale, the use case, the reasoning, where you've already convinced someone that you are the vendor, but the vendor for what reason? And that's where the bottom of funnel comes in. So I think we should shift our attention from call to action, getting people to our site, getting them into our, as you said, our our lead list to how do we create demand, properly distribute it, capture it, and then work that bottom of funnel to convert over time. Thanks for listening to Modern Marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity, empowering marketers to build customer communities that drive revenue. We create massive demand via social, influencer, content, paid media, and of course, podcast. Learn more at Influicity.com.